Welcome to the third season of Courage Incorporated, produced by the Walrus Lab. Join me as we hear the courageous and powerful voices of leaders from across Canada. They have the incredible task of directing the future of Canada and the courage of a nation. I'm your host, Duncan Sinclair. As one of the most diverse cities in the world, Toronto is lucky to host the National Ballet of Canada, one of the top ballet companies in the world. Our guest on this episode is Hope Muir, Artistic Director of the National Ballet of Canada. Hope has the responsibility to entertain about 10 million people annually while prioritizing values of equity and inclusion across the organization. Hope was born in Toronto and began her global dance story at 15. She's been a dancer, a teacher, a choreographer, and more, while navigating her way to leadership. Hope Muir joins me to talk about the courage to lead the business of dance. Hope, thank you for joining us today. To start us off, can you tell us when you knew that dance was going to be at the center of your life? Who inspired you as a young professional? And who were some of your important mentors who helped you shape your career? Um, well, I've said this before in other interviews, but I don't remember a time in my life, really, where dance wasn't there. I don't have a memory where I wasn't dancing, and I don't recall ever a time where I wasn't interested in dancing. Um, so it was something I always knew I wanted to do. I really didn't know to what degree, but I was always the person who was organizing people, which was something that I do recall even as a young dancer in a local studio here in the West End of Toronto. Um, once I got to the UK and I really made the decision to focus on a career in classical ballet, um, one of the most important mentors at that time was uh, an international guest artist, teacher, director called Peter Schaffes, who took me into the founding year of his school. And it was really unlike any other training facility in the world at that time. And he was a pioneer, a real visionary in terms of how formal training, how the, the structure could be different. And we were really integrated into London Festival Ballet as it was at that time and worked super closely with any repetiteur that was working with the company, any guest teacher. We were observing classes and rehearsals, watching people in the industry at a really high level in the industry, watching them work and train every day. So it was it was really immersive in terms of the the development as an artist, I felt that we were really so close to the art rather than just focusing on the, on the classical training as such. He really encouraged us to be individuals. He encouraged us to communicate even, even all those years ago. <laughs> we, um, I remember having conversations about the why, why are we doing it? And then um, once I decided after a wonderful career with English National Ballet, and decided to move into a more contemporary field, again, um, working with those choreographers that were making work on dancers at that time, which was really the next thing I wanted to experience. I wanted to be even more involved in process and more involved in the DNA of the work. So who I had developed to be as an artist had a long-lasting impact on the work that was um, being shown at that time. And um, that was with a company called Rombert Dance Company. And the director was a choreographer and extensor from that company called Christopher Bruce. Again, quite a pioneering um, director. 
I don't think he ever really wanted to be a director. He was kind of pulled into it um, because of his success as a choreographer and his uh, his lineage to the company. But he ended up being an extraordinary director, um, really valuing the individuals, open to conversation, uh, brought in a, a, a huge wealth of repertoire that had such diversity and different challenges for both the artists and and the uh, and the, and the audiences at that time. So, in my early career, both Peter and um, and Christopher Bruce, they were really people I looked up to and interestingly both directors um I did admire dancers many dancers I shared the stage with and wonderful teachers uh uh Lynn Seymour Patrick Armand um that are just to name a few we had oh Wojtek Lofsky he was um a dear dear friend and colleague who was one of my main teachers at school but interestingly it was the directors that really um had an impact on me so uh Perhaps that sort of demonstrates why I, why I am where I am today. Tell us a bit more about your journey from being a dancer to moving to various leadership roles as a rehearsal director, a teacher, and now artistic director of the National Ballet of Canada. What challenges did you face and how did you overcome them as you transitioned into these different roles? I think every dancer from the beginning of their career in some way or another is always in the back of their mind has what is that transition going to be? It's such a, such a short and um, really emotional career, and it's so it's so personal to each individual. But I do think the transition um, always looms at the back of your back of your head because no one really wants to ever for it ever to end. Uh, to be a dancer, to be able to perform, to be part of a company is such a privilege and. Really, I think it's quite scary to even fathom how it might end, whether it be through choice, through someone else's choice, uh, through injury, um, through just life changes, family, whatever um, it might be. It's the unknown is super scary. Um, I tried to enjoy every moment in the moment and didn't really put too much pressure on myself to know what was going to be next. But I did invest in my education while I was dancing with Rambert Dance Company and I was doing remote learning through the Open University in London. And in some way in the back of my head, I just knew that that was going to be good for me. It was going to give me um, more of an opportunity to make an informed choice at the end of my career. And I also didn't want to push myself to a point where I was going to end injured. I always liked learning repertoire and I was teaching at summer schools um, on and off. And I knew I had an interest in that, but I never really forced myself to say that's going to be the singular path for me. I wanted to keep my options open for lack of a better expression. And um, when I did decide to retire from Hubbard Street Dance Chicago, I really um, took some time out to think about other options in terms of uh, and experiences I could have. I came up to Toronto. I, I helped managing a small company here in the city. I was teaching at a local school again, very close to where I started, um, teaching um, small little people, which is, um, I, I really have such great respect for people that do that well. It wasn't, it wasn't my best choice at the moment, but it was a really good learning opportunity. And uh, then I really decided to invest in in 
a teacher training program. So I knew I could have the tools and something that I could always go back to if, if I needed. Once I made that decision, everything really started snowballing and choreographers I had worked with, even dancers I had worked with, um, opportunities started to come for more kind of rehearsal direction, uh, staging ballets, ballets that I had been a part of or that had been created on me. And that just sort of, sort of started to, yeah, in, inform just my day to day and where I was going, who I was working with. So I was fortunate enough after my teacher training in London to come back to Toronto and uh, work with um, Proate Danza. And through that, met Emily Molnar, who then invited me to assist her out in Ballet BC uh, when she took over the company initially. And, and then the National Ballet of Canada. I came in to stage uh, one work here and to guest teach and had a great time, even though it was super intimidating to walk through the front doors and to realize that you are working with these incredible artists and such a, such a big organization and um, had a great time. Again, it was a Christopher Bruce ballet. I staged here. That was the first opportunity. And it just went really well. And there seemed to be a nice um, synergy between myself and, and the organization in terms of the artistic staff and the dancers. And then Karen invited me back to assist Crystal Pite on her creation of Emergence, which was really an extraordinary opportunity and one that I'm really, really grateful for because it in, not only introduced me to Crystal and reintroduced me to the company, but it really created a bond that has helped serve and um, provided so many opportunities for me out thereafter. Uh, I'm just really, really grateful for that opportunity. Um, then very soon after that and after Ballet BC, um, an opportunity came up for Scottish Ballet uh, as a rehearsal director. Interestingly, they advertised for a ballet master, which um, in ballet lingo means um, a male ballet teacher. <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, I'll apply anyway um, as a woman without any real experience of teaching uh, male ballet dancers or male ballet technique. Um, and the director at that time in Scottish Ballet contacted me and said, well, that's, you know, quite bold <laughs> to apply for a job that's very clearly um, advertised for uh, a man. And I think that gave him a curiosity about me and uh, he invited me over anyway and um, I ended up getting the job, uh, which really is, uh, was wonderful because it, it started me on a journey with Scottish Ballet. I was there for nearly nine years. And then with their new director, Christopher Hampson, who's a dear friend and actually was a colleague at English National Ballet with me. We danced together. Um, he partnered me in many ballets. Uh, then he went on to be a very successful choreographer and our two roads came back and um, met again at Scottish Ballet. And that was really a, a, a real turning point because he became a, a real mentor to me in terms of leadership and in terms of letting me be exposed to parts of company life that I wouldn't be just necessarily as a rehearsal director. That path, that education, that exposure allowed me to, uh, well, he, he promoted me to assistant artistic director, which, you know, really kind of that for me solidified the path I was going to be on to eventually be an artistic director. 
Well, certainly hope we are living in an era of disruption. And so the experience you shared about breaking barriers with the Scottish Ballet, you know, really fits with the times in which we're living today. And of course, you're constantly curating your own narrative as a leader. And so on the topic of leadership, can you share more about your views of what's changed in that landscape over the years? So a lot of people have always um, asked me about the challenges of being a female, especially a female in this type of position in dance. And I think sometimes I, I disappoint people because I, I have to say um, I've always been quite determined to, to get here. And maybe there were ceilings or doors that, that were in front of me, that, but that I didn't really uh, have a perception of of that time. And also I had all of these amazing women in front of me, uh, Nanette Devalwa, the founder of the Royal Ballet, Marie Rombert, who founded Rombert Dance Company, where I was for 10 years. When I left the UK, there was a woman director in every country in the UK. So I never really felt like it was impossible for me. I think once I got to North America, I realized, especially the United States, I realized how different it was. Um, but in Canada, obviously with Celia Franca and, uh, there was Lynn Wallace as well as Valerie Wilder and Karen Kane as, uh, directors of the National Ballet. So it's been something that women found things and they, they put deep roots and the Royal Ballet and Romba and the National Ballet of Canada have all survived that. And I think that's something that's a real testament to, the the determination and the commitment and the love that people, well, women in general that we're talking about, have for this art form. So um, it is unusual still. There's an there's a imbalance of um, male directors to female directors as well as choreographers, but we're getting there. But I always just think back to these women that put these deep, deep roots in and the, the, you know, Martha Graham, who created a whole new technique. You know, there are so many women that have changed the developments of the art form by putting in foundations that I think we need to remind ourselves of to just stay strong and move forward. Hope, leadership transition is an important part of the growth of an organization. Following Karen Kane, former artistic director, who has a powerful personal brand in the world of dance, what lessons can you share with us? How are you able to successfully navigate your transition? And how did this transition inform your choices once you started to implement your own vision for the future of the National Ballet of Canada? When I um, was approached to apply for this position, of course, I was um, hugely, like, well, flattered, firstly, but also super surprised <laughs> and um, probably a little bit in shock. And it took a few days for it to really sink in and what I was going to get myself into uh, if I was to apply for the position coming after someone like Karen Kane. I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, running a, um, a much smaller company, um, Charlotte Ballet, and um, I was really enjoying it. I had been there um, nearly four years and had taken the company into very different territory in terms of the repertoire and international exposure and had had fairly great success quite quickly. And um, 
this came at that time pre-pandemic and you know Karen's legacy for the National Ballet of Canada I've said this before uh, she's been here for so long and firstly you know as a student and then as a dancer in the company in various roles on artistic staff and then eventually as you know one of the most successful artistic directors the company has had it's 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 intimidating but it's also it's also reassuring because you know you're inheriting a company that has been treated with deep care and respect and there wasn't anything you know unhealthy about the environments to to come into um which is always a wonderful place to start so I know that my career just generationally and because of the way the world has developed with technology and travel and dancers having careers in many different companies generationally it's impossible to compare Karen's experience to mine just just because of the opportunities I've had just because of the time I've lived in and I feel that that is a real bonus that I can um, build on with the company so that the the foundation that is here from all of the amazing directors and female directors that the company has had, and of course, Celia Franca being the founder, it, it, it felt good to be able to offer a, a new perspective on what dance can be. And then, of course, post-pandemic, it's changed again. Uh, we have an even deeper responsibility to um, provide context and relevancy to our art form coming out of such a challenging moment in time for everyone. And also for our artists who have lost potentially two, three years of a relatively short career anyway. Um, I've said many times to my dancers and to my artistic staff that I really don't know we're fully going to understand the impact the pandemic has had on us for, for many years, uh, physically, mentally, uh, emotionally, just in terms of how we function, how the management structure, um, balance of power. You know, people are looking at many, many different um, organizations. They have questions. People have questions. I have questions. I've personally re-examined a lot of my motivation as to why I want to do what I do. It's always come down to an element of care for the art form and for the people that do it. And I feel that as long as that stays my motivation, I will be the right person to help perhaps guide this organization through this moment in time. Can you share more with us about how you continue to challenge your dancers, to grow as professionals, to realize challenging artistic visions? while creating a culture of belonging and care for the individual dancer's well-being? Well, this really follows on from what we were just discussing in the previous question about this being a very different time for artists. Um, initially, I will say with programming and one of the very, well, the, the mo fundamental part of my job is providing programming that allows each artist at every stage of their career to develop in a way that gives them the opportunity to have the most satisfying career they can. And that's no simple feat because I have an intake of young dancers each year that are 17 or 18 years old. And then I have my more mature artists that are 
you know, could be in their early 40s. Um, some even some even go longer. So every moment in time in those careers, everyone's going to need something different. They need a different nourishment. They need a different stimuli. They need a different challenge. But it's really similar to our audiences. <laughs> so there is, it's like if I, if I do the work well on one side and, and, and through my, my artists who I know um, the best in my organization, because um, obviously I don't know everyone in our audience, <laughs> but um, I feel that there's enough of a, um, there's, there's enough difference in terms of those challenges that it's almost going to be able to be communicated or transposed to our audience demographic. Um, and that's also culturally because our dancers come from all over the world and, uh, and yeah, the demographic of my artist can sometimes uh, in, inform the work that our audiences are going to want to see, especially as we try to entice a younger audience in. Um, so programming, one thing, um, and that means about being very thoughtful about which choreographer, when, so that dancers have an experience to have the tools to be able to access work in a really thoughtful and satisfying way. Uh, there's nothing worse than moving too fast and bringing something in and it's like putting on a suit that doesn't fit. You really want to be able to embody the work and to have, have the, have the opportunity to really lose yourself in it. And that just means it needs to feel right. And that then we have the historical responsibility about all the amazing work that the National Ballet of Canada has, has in its past the full-length ballets, because we train in classical technique, you know, people are going to want to see Swan Lake. They're going to want to see um, Sleeping Beauty. Uh, obviously, Nutcracker is a really good introduction ballet for, for our audiences. And it really is the technique we train in. And if and young dancers still want to do it. So I'm very excited to maintain that um, that foundation and then to find also new ways to tell new stories, which is something, especially after the pandemic, people are asking the relevancy of some of these old stories, um, asking whether we need to see certain things on stage anymore, uh, looking at um, how we represent different cultures on stage, really taking time to um, look at content and context and how it's going to impact our audiences and our artists. Because again, like I said, I feel that um, they have the same questions right now at this moment in time. So that's the kind of programming side of it. Of course, the well-being, we have a fantastic wellness um, group here at the company that look after the dancers and that covers all of their um, training their recovery, their, um, their mental health, uh, nutritional health. Uh, we, ha we have a fantastic team that really does support them from the inside out. And, uh, and, I, and again, to just reiterate what I said about the impact of the pandemic, I think that we have a lot to learn about that. And we're already asking those questions as to how how this two, three years of not really training at the elite level that they're used to, how, what, what are the things we're starting to see show up now in our artists? So yeah, that's really, um, 
That's from the programming and wellness side of the National Ballet of Canada. It's super complex. We're certainly living in a time in the world where organizations and their leaders are being challenged to do more, to demonstrate a commitment to social justice and inclusion across multiple equity-deserving groups. Under your leadership, what steps are you taking to elevate the brand of the National Ballet of Canada as an inclusive organization within the global dance community and the public? After the pandemic and, and the racial reckoning of the past few years and looking at ballet as a Eurocentric, deemed, you know, elitist uh, profession, pastime, you know, however you want to view it, a lot of questions came out about how, how what we put on stage, how we show up. And it's been a lot of conversations with our dancers, a lot of learnings. We're still learning and we're still examining the work we do. We've made some small steps and we've had some small wins. Uh, by no means are we finished. But, you know, even the conversation around our artists being able to wear tights that most flatter the color of their skin and making that something that we always now aspire to be able to do um, is one thing. Examining some of the stories we're telling on stage is another. Um, talking to a lot of uh, people and experts that, are, that are continue to come into the organization and guide us and, um, and tell us when we're making mistakes, which is really important and part of this. And also knowing we are going to make mistakes. And, but then there's also this idea of a cancel culture, which I think with a lot more information up front and before a ballet and to contextualize when and how things were made, there isn't some things. Yes, I 100% I think will not be done on stage anymore. And then there's other things where I'm like, well, if we were to educate our, our audiences as to the when and the why and to have the conversations with the dancers before, um, are some things still, you know, can we still tell that story on stage with the right information before? I have this uh, philosophy at the moment that ballet used to be this effortless, graceful thing and you, you couldn't even, you know, break a sweat and it was the, the image of the swan on the water with the legs moving very fast underneath. And now I have this image of ballet being like the back of a big old grandfather clock and everyone wants to see inside. Everyone wants to see how it's working. And that's the interesting part for me is that there's so much more conversation before and it's not waiting to be called out. It's about saying, this is what we're doing um, how do you feel we're doing? We've started to put um, QR codes in our programs, talking about some of the steps we're taking with the work and the repertoire and and asking for audience feedback. And uh, did we, you know, how did you feel about this? Was there anything that you found triggering? Um, our intention sometimes doesn't match the impact. We want to know when that when when we let that down or, or we don't get it right. Because we really are committed as an organization to um, making uh, making the culture more um, more safe and more inclusive 
I say safe is a really important word because our artists are already vulnerable. And to add this layer makes it even more important that the, the, the workspace is safe. The National Ballet has developed programs such as You Dance to excite children about the world of ballet and, of course, Dance Break to make ballet affordable for young adults under 30. These are examples of how to attract future audiences to support the ballet. Now, what other innovative programs might we not know about yet that you want to implement to continue to attract future audiences to the world of ballet? Yes, um, those examples, you dance and, and Dance Break, perfect examples about you know, generating some excitement in different ways to get new audiences in. We're really aware that that is um, its forefront to make sure that our art continues to, to, to thrive. And for me, about like, like we spoke about in the previous question, diversity in the company is super important and that means that we need to provide access and the access point is where you dance really um is really successful because we're out there uh, with schools and with children and we're in places that perhaps have never even seen ballet before or, or think it's not for them and to show them what ballet can be and it's not just one thing it's many things and that it can be a career, uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean on the stage. It can be behind the scenes. It can be in our in our wardrobe department. It can be in administration. Where there's an interest and a love, there is a, there is a career potential there. I am really, really dedicated with uh, my co-leader Barry Hewson uh, to try and get National Bay of Canada touring again and not just the big shiny international tours. We really want to get on the ground here in Canada and to provide performance opportunities that are um, at a price point that that people can afford and you know we realize that we need to do more of that. We are performing at Harbourfront Centre this, this summer and this is going to be something we did this last year as well. These are free outdoor performances with a variety of different work from the National Ballet of Canada, but also sharing the stage with other dance makers in Toronto. So really showing the entire city how much diversity of dance there is and how the National Ballet of Canada is really trying to support all of that work to build an audience and to really try and represent uh, all of the different tastes in Toronto. You have some wonderful examples at the National Ballet of young dancers from different parts of the world being identified, mentored, and elevated to achieve their full potential as artists. As we look at the world with many areas of global conflict today, what more do you believe the dance community can do to help dancers in crisis relocate and even continue to grow as professionals? This is a really interesting question and in thinking about it, I really just thought about the dance community as a whole. And I don't think, I don't think there's ever been like a, an actual like organization or program that's come together to, um, to help at these moments in time. I just think as a community, it's something we almost do as a, as a dance family. And that could be in small ways, uh, when you're touring in a, in a ballet company 
uh, or any dance company for that matter, if you're in a place and you're providing free classes or workshops in a, in a in an environment where that that doesn't happen, and sometimes you know you're giving away your point shoes or you're giving away rehearsal wear to um, to children that don't have access to that that kind of that kind of uh, dance wear. It's it's interesting. And then in, in major global crisis like the Ukraine, we mobilized so quickly just as as a family because we were just getting message from friends in different part of the world saying we need point shoes here. So the National Bay of Canada sent we sent some point shoes. Uh, we have dancers that have ended up in Paris from the Ukraine and they didn't they they had to leave with nothing. Can you send rehearsal wear? We did that. I said as an organization that if Ukrainian dancers ended up here in Toronto, they would have a place to come and train with the company, you know, for free. Our doors were open. So we've continued to do that. We still have dancers coming to take class with us. And then the one thing we were able to do, and I know it's a very small thing, but um, when Konstantin uh, Chachuk came with uh, his family to re to relocate to Toronto, he was staying with one of our principal dancers and joining in class with us. And I spoke to Barry Houston, and we were able to, you know, find him a contract to get him, you know, performing again and back into the art. And I'm I'm happy to say that he's here for another season with us. And these are just the small, it is very small things. And, but I think that, that what's important to understand is that the dance community always comes together and mobilizes to support where we can, whether that, whether that's when you're on tour, uh, providing, you know, teaching classes, dance wear point shoes, or in something as, as, as traumatic as the Ukraine war, just finding again, that safe space for artists to come to continue their training. Hope, what are your long-term aspirations for the future, both for you and for the National Ballet? <laughs> That's a big question. Um, I, I feel so lucky every day that I get to come and work at the National Ballet of Canada. And I, I pinch myself, honestly, I really never thought this would happen for me, but I am so grateful to be here and to see... To see the changes already in the artists and the momentum we have, uh, the openness that everyone's had to uh, working in a different way in the studio, to trying a new choreography, to collaborating with young choreographers and giving this opportunity for Canadian um, development of talent. It's just been extraordinary. And I just can want to continue to provide that balanced uh, experience for our audiences of the classical and the contemporary work. I want us to continue touring. I want to tour in Canada. I really want to um, work on us being more accessible. I want to diversify not only our artists, but the whole organization and our audiences. Uh, so that we're, we're looking at our art form from many, many different perspectives and not just that of the people that have been the gatekeepers for so long. Uh, yeah, huge aspirations, but um, underpinned by a huge amount of gratitude. And uh, yeah, and I'm going to work hard. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed our discussion, and I wish you all the best in the future. Thanks for listening to this episode of Courage Incorporated. 
I'm your host, Duncan Sinclair. This podcast is a production of the Walrus Lab. Thanks to our producer, Camille Hemming, and our team here at Deloitte. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and tune in again soon to meet our next courageous leader.